Did you know that you can stream the best of HBO shows and more with the new Astro? Better than before, no rain interruptions, no repeats. Just stream anytime and on demand via the Astro Ultrabox. It starts from only RM5990 a month, and you can find more information at astro.com.my. You're listening to the Goggler Podcast, Bahir and Uma with you, and we're talking today about Disney's 100th anniversary animated feature. This one's called Wish. And it is, I think, an interesting endeavor. It took me about 10 to 15 minutes into the movie to figure out what they were doing. And once I had figured that out, I was all in. I was invested. Hmm. Now, I will say this. Wish in no way falls into a tier one category Disney film. And we know what those are, right? Frozen, Lion King, Little Mermaid, like the best of the best, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, Those are the movies that everyone talks about when you ask them to name their favorite Disney movies. We can go Mm. back as well. We can go back to Robin Hood or The Jungle Book. And Wish doesn't quite come close to any of those because at the end of the day, it feels very much like a generic Disney movie. That said, I think the reason I was so invested is that once I figured out that this was fan service, the movie, that this was made by fans for her fans, I accepted what it was and had a very good time at the cinema. I won't say I had a very good time at the cinema. I had a good time. I think it was fine. But this is probably one of the handful of movies that I have probably ever truly felt like it could have gone on Disney+. Plus. Right. I hate that. Like, I've had people tell me that about other movies and I've always felt insulted by it and almost made me lose them as friends. But I think Wish feels like the one, that first one where I was like, no, you know what? Yeah, this could have been a TV movie. The story in this movie feels incredibly functional. And I think that's why I call it a very basic Disney film. Yeah. The lead, played by Ariana DeBose, Asha, isn't a Disney princess because she is not a princess by any measure in this movie. She's a farm girl, but she's a farm girl who doesn't grow up to be a princess either, right? She lives in the land of Rosas, which has a, in inverted commas, benevolent king played Mm -hmm. by Chris Pine, King Magnifico. And this is a country, a land that he founded because he was chased away from his land, most likely due to invasion and war. There's a brief throwaway paragraph about that. But he founded this land so he can grow and hold on to people's wishes. So you come to the land of Rosas, you give the king your wish for safekeeping, And then once or twice a year, he will have a wish-granting ceremony where he will make your deepest desire come true. I think it's also worth noting that this king is a very learned wizard. So he's very sort of up there with the books. So he has figured out how to take people's wishes and sort of hold them you say safekeeping. I think if you watch the movie, you find out it's also hostage, but whatever, right? And also, you find out very quickly who King Magnifico is and what is happening. If there's one thing this movie does well, 
is that in its 95 minutes, it really moves through the paces. There is very little fat in this film. The confrontation between Asha and Magnifico happens like 10 minutes into the movie. Mm. Very quickly, you're like, wait, what? He's the bad guy? Okay, great. He's not making any bones about it. His confrontation with Asha happens so quickly, and the movie just keeps moving from that point on. In that sense, it feels like this is a film that skews very much towards a younger audience. Yes. That said, I think if you are a Disney fan and you have grown up watching Disney movies, there is plenty in this movie for you. The movie is just littered with Easter eggs. And I say Disney fan, meaning the kind of person that knows all the words to all the songs in Little Mermaid or knows all the words to all the songs in The Lion King. Like you've grown up with that stuff. Like you and me, you shed a tear when you walk into Disneyland, that sort of thing, right? This is a movie that was made specifically for you if you are a grown-up. Yeah. So I think it skews towards a younger audience. But as for grown-ups, this is a movie for the real hardcore Disney fans. And there's plenty in it. And I like. I think that's why I enjoyed it as much as I did. In my head, I was like, oh, okay, you've been doing this for 100 years. You have license to have one movie that is this self-referential. Because mm. it was only after watching this movie did I realize that Disney isn't very self-referential when it comes to the animated films. Yeah. Yes, they've made sequels and spin-offs and cash grabs. Those direct-to-video Lion King movies and Little Mermaid 2 and 3 and 3 and a half and whatever. But with their theatrical features... It's, it's not like watching Spider-Man No Way Home. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and that yeah. surprised me. They've been very disciplined about telling a story first and foremost. That's always kept them in good stead because it means they've been able to tell these really emotional, good, heartfelt stories. Your liking of the films may vary, but at the end of the day, you can't discount the fact that when you see a Disney animated feature, you know you're watching a Disney animated feature. Even when it comes to Pixar, And I think especially everything under the umbrella of Disney, right? I think we hold them to a higher standard because their quality is of a higher standard. Yes. And I say this as someone who had to suffer through the third Trolls movie. Yeah. Or even Sing 2, Sing 3, what I can't, I've lost track of how many Sing movies there are, right? Two, I think, yeah. Having had to suffer through those movies, the Madagascar sequels, the Ice Age sequels. Yeah, yeah. It occurs to me how little those sequels actually do to progressing a story as opposed to just being a series of jokes. Not even new jokes. They're the same jokes repackaged in movie two. The other day in the news in the US, Bob Iger let slip that they're working on a Frozen 4. And the reaction has been quite mixed to that. People were already upset that there was a Frozen 3, but the idea of there being a Frozen 4 sent some people over the edge saying, you know, where are the original works? We don't want more sequels. I think they are mistaken. I think if there is a story that justifies it, I was very upset when I heard about a Toy Story 4 because I thought Toy Story 3 was perfect. Mm. And then when Toy Story 4 happened, I was like, oh, wait, they did have a story because this is the first movie that's actually about the toys. Yes. All of the other three movies were about the owners of the toys. Yes. And when you watch something like Trolls 3, you realize how much effort Disney and Pixar put into crafting those stories, even if they are sequels. It took them over a decade to come up with Incredibles 2. Yes. 
But when they finally found that story, I'm glad it exists because it was a fun, smart, intelligent, interesting movie. Let yeah. me tell you, Bahe, it's a good thing you were in LA because if you had to sit through the shit that was Trolls 3, right? Yeah, God. It is literally the same idea repeated over and over again. It's, oh, the power of friendship, the power of family. Yay, let's sing some songs. Oh my God, we're all together again. That's it. That's the problem with these other animated feature films, right? Is that it's almost as if the studios are as surprised as everybody else when the movie does well. The first one, right? Because kids liked it. Then they were like, huh, you know what there are more of every year? More fucking kids. So you know what we should do? We should make more of these fucking movies. Like you said, they don't bother with the idea of is there a story to tell? And I think both Disney and Pixar have always been very disciplined about the idea of story first. I will be honest, I rolled my eyes at the idea of Frozen 2 because it feels like it's the only one in recent memory where they had a follow-up to the first. So it felt like the first real cash grab, right? Yes, there were several Beauty and the Beasts that we never saw because they went direct to VHS. And that's fine. That's par for the course. But they never made a cinematic release, Beauty and the Beast 2. And I think Frozen 2 felt like, oh, they're finally gone off the edge. Bob Iger is finally trying to go for some of that sweet cash grab money. But no, you're right. Frozen 2 had a really good story. And I think it's the point that it has to be story-driven first. Would I want to see it in Canto 2? Yes, but only if it had a good story. What I liked about Wish, and there are quite a few things that I enjoyed about it, I think are a little more subtle and nuanced. I like the idea that with Asha, we had a... I know I said she isn't a princess, but I guess all female characters in Disney cartoons are called Disney princesses, right? Yes. I mean, even there are Disney princess dolls with Leia now. So, yeah. But actually, no, I take that back. Leia was an actual princess. Oh, that's true. But what I liked about Asha is that you now have a brown character who is an original character. Yes. That fits into an existing world that they have created for this film and that it's not a big deal. Mm. I think when Disney re-gender characters or re-race characters it becomes a problem to the white American population. Yep. And I think this might be the way to do it, to avoid that conversation, because so many times that conversation happens and it takes away from how good a movie actually is. You know what we forgot? Raya and the Last Dragon. Yeah, Raya and the Last Dragon was another movie yeah. that got lost in the pandemic. Yes. I think was terribly and criminally underwatched. I agree with you, but I think... The reason I brought it up was because it felt like a true other story with a character, right? It never felt like, oh, let's do, I don't know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, but not have your character be actually Snow White, like her fucking name, you know? Like, look, I get it. I'm completely fine with the colored lead actors and actresses or colored princesses. That's not my problem. My issue is that the character is called Snow White because her skin is white as snow. I think there's a song about it. I think when you rejig those stories and tell them in an interesting way, for example, I think there was a hip-hop remake of the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs story. Oh, hang on. Let me Google this. Google that because I think there was. And I think when you redo it in that way, then it makes sense. It's like setting Hamlet in the present day, right? With Ethan Hawke. It's like you're doing something like that and that's fine. Yeah. When you have a character like Asha who's original and interesting and fits a role 
and her backstory and the world that she's from, all of which contribute to who she is as a person in the movie, it makes for an interesting and engaging character as opposed to just re-racing or re-gendering yes. or diversifying an existing character. And I think that's something that Wish does very, very well. It's very smart that they set this place, Rosa's, in the Mediterranean, which is almost like in the middle of yeah. Europe and Asia. So you get a mix of immigrants coming to this place because that's the whole idea, right? Magnifico welcomes everyone. The beginning of Asha's first song, she welcomes new visitors to the land and one of the welcomes was Salam, right? And I think that was, I thought it was really sweet. Just like a real throwaway sort of accepting of everyone. And it never feels forced. Never it? feels forced, which is nice. Like, those are the things that I really enjoyed about the movie. I enjoyed all the references. I enjoyed that her best friends, there are seven of them, kind of echoing the seven mm. dwarves. I, I enjoyed that there were character references to maybe some other characters that you might have seen in Disney movies past. Yeah. Possibly, potentially. I think that's quite cool. Yeah. Those are the little Easter eggs that happened throughout. And I really enjoyed the music in the film. I think there were one or two songs that really stood out for me that were very, very catchy. Nothing quite as remarkable as Let It Go. But at the same time, these two songs I've been listening to on repeat because I really do enjoy them. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about the high standards that we hold Disney animated feature films to. Even the songs in this one just doesn't quite feel like they hit the heights of of the other stuff. Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Lion King, they had, all of the songs were bangers, you know? Whereas this one, even you said maybe two or three, and I would dare say maybe only just one. This movie doesn't quite reach the heights that we expect from a Disney animated feature film. I came across this very interesting video on Instagram, and there was a musician who was doing a breakdown of the music in Wish. Because the villain song in inverted commas, this is the thanks I get, was getting a lot of bad press before the movie even came out. And people were making fun of it on TikTok and the like because they felt it wasn't actually a good villain song. It didn't reach the heights of Scar's song or Ursula's song. And he made an interesting point in that he was talking about how all of those previous Disney numbers were written as musical theater numbers. Meanwhile, the more modern Disney movies tend to lean towards pop numbers and they follow a pop orchestration. And I think that's a really interesting point because if you look back at the recent Disney movies with songs, the ones that have channeled musical theater have done a lot better. Mm. We Don't Talk About Bruno is a very musical yes, theater yes. song. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda writes best for that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think even with Frozen, the songs that really hit home, I thought the Aurora song is absolutely fantastic in Frozen 2, but it didn't really get the same kind of traction as Let It Go because that felt more like a pop number. Mm. And so maybe he has a point. Maybe our expectation from Disney might be more musical theatre. Oh, no, I completely agree. I think The Bare Necessities is absolutely a musical theatre song. The Seven Dwarfs hi-ho as they go to, to work that first day. You know, absolutely fucking musical theatre. And maybe it's a studio problem because I can see studio executives going, 
we need radio play. I can see that. And maybe there is a directive to try and skew things towards the pop numbers also because of TikTok and Instagram reels and the kind of musical trends that take place there. I don't know if that's true, but it's a possibility. There has been a shift in the songs and I could never put my finger on it until he said it. And then I go, no, of course, you're right. That's all the early bangers were musical theater songs, right? It's the singing about what I'm going to do as opposed to just singing about my emotion. Exactly. So if you compare the first song in Wish, which is Asha's Welcome to Rosa song, yes. it's still not an I want song. Yes. It feels like it might be similar to Belle in Beauty and the Beast running through her village, but the I want song from that has a completely different message no. to Welcome to Rosa. Absolutely, because Belle's first song is an I want song. It literally is I want better than this provincial life. You know, that's literally what she says. And in that sense, I think Encanto lean towards musical theater more because even Mirabelle's song about the introduction to the village was still an I want song because she was comparing herself to her sisters and what they can do and why she doesn't have those powers. Yep, yep. It's not just an introduction to the village song. It's an introduction to me. Sorry, this has become an analysis of all things Disney, which, which, which I think Wish will inspire in you, that conversation. I think it's an entertaining movie. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. But I will say this, when it shows up on Disney+, Plus, I may watch it again. It's the kind of thing, like I watched it twice. I watched it once because we had a junket. We spoke to the producer of the film. And then I watched it again with you at the press screening. And I have to say, I enjoyed myself both times mm. because I think the pacing is great and it just kind of moves. Yeah. If you are a parent and you have kids, I think this is the kind of thing you want to take them to because there is an important message in the film. There's some fun music in the film. I think it's trying to tell you something. It is a movie with meaning despite being full of all of this fan service because even that I feel is executed really well. I think the fan service is executed really well because it's the kind of thing where had we not told you that it's fan service, you may not have noticed. You may have noticed that one of the characters is a little sneezy. The other guy is a little more grumpy than the other guys. You know, and you go like, okay, I'm mm, okay, maybe. But then you realize if you come into it thinking about the fan service, you will see a particularly potentially recognizable squirrel. You know, you will see all these little things that you go, oh, wait, that's cute. Or a bear that looks familiar, but wait, he's not that bear. He's the other bear. He's the other one. Yeah, exactly. So in that sense, I think Wish is... An entertaining movie, it is a fun movie, it is something that you really do want to take your kids to see, you will have a good time at the cinema, I guarantee it. What's more, and this was told to us by the producer of the film, it's not going to be on Disney Plus as soon as you think. I think being the 100th feature, they've decided to keep it in cinemas for a long time. At the end of our interview, he made a point to tell me, and he said, Listen, if you do one thing for me, tell your listeners, tell your viewers that this is not something that's going to hit any streaming platform anytime soon. We want to keep this in cinemas as long as we can. And for me, I think that's a great thing. And I think they should do more of that. If only because some of my fondest memories as a child 
was watching these sorts of animated movies in the cinema with my parents. It was a true experience. I think there is something magical about going to the cinema with your parents to watch a family movie. I think that's what that's what a family movie is about, right? Sure, you can go and watch the Marvels with your family, but I think something about watching a Disney animated feature just hits different. There are conversations to be had with your children after watching this movie. Yeah. After watching Trolls 3, I don't think there are extensive existential philosophical questions that you will have with your children. But after watching Frozen, after watching Wish, after watching Encanto, Strange World, I think they incite the sort of conversations that you want to have with your children because they've learned something. That is if you want to have conversations with your children. Oh yeah, that too. I don't have kids, but just throwing it out there. I know some people who don't want to have conversation with their kids. In that case, just, you know, send them to this movie by themselves. Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite song, by the way? Uh, it was the song in the trailer. I can't remember what it's called, but like... It just this Wish? Feels... Yes, I think it's called Wish or This Wish. This Wish this or Wish? wish. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's Asha's song. Yes, Asha's song. The big song in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, to me, I really like that. There's something about the way the chorus comes in that just gets me every time. I really like it. Actually, I think all of the orchestration is quite interesting because it's not what you expect. With this wish, the chorus and the bridge and all of that stuff play out very unexpectedly. So this wish, I like I'm a Star, which is really, really fun. And I've been playing that on repeat on YouTube. I also really like This Is The Thanks I Get based on on the context of the show. Mm. I think when you listen to it outside of the context of the movie, it may not make much sense. But the point at which Magnifico sings that song makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I foresee a lot of five and six-year-olds running around going, this is the thanks I get, which would be quite cute. La. Poor parents. La. Also, we haven't really spoken about Magnifico in that it feels like a throwback to a Disney villain, right? In that... It's not just a villain. It's a villain with a reason. It's the perfect idea of who a villain is, right? Because the villain doesn't think he's doing the wrong thing. The villain thinks he's doing the right thing for everybody. And it's that different perspective that makes a villain most interesting. And also, we haven't had the <laughs> villain in a very long time. Encanto didn't really have a villain. Strange World didn't really have a villain. Moana didn't really have Moana a villain. Moana didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I love those stories as well. And I like what they did with those movies without having a clear black and white bad guy. But at the same time, I have to say, I do enjoy a mustache twirling villain. I mean, for me, it has to be Jafar. I mean, I love Ursula too, but Jafar... With the actual mustache With the twirl. actual mustache twirl. Wish opens in Malaysian cinemas on Thursday, November 23rd. Check it out. Take your family, take your kids, let us know what you think. Let us know what your favorite songs are. You know how to reach out, GogglerMY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. If you drop us a line on any one of those channels, we'll send you a link to join our brand new Discord server where you can chat with us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.